Greetings, my podcast friends. Welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we seek to go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. We're looking at distinctions worth knowing, and today's distinction is causing quite a stir in many religious circles. We're going to be looking at a piece of real estate, sometimes called the Holy Land, sometimes called the Promised Land, occasionally called Palestine, and usually called Israel. For centuries, people have argued about who has the legitimate claim to the land that is known today as Israel. The Arab-Israeli conflict rages with both sides claiming they have exclusive rights to this territory. The Arabs say their ancestors owned the land before the Israelites conquered it. The Israelites say God gave this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob some 4,000 years ago. The legitimate claim can only be resolved by looking carefully at historical records. The most reliable historical record is the Bible. The Bible declares that God himself is the owner of the promised land. In fact, Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Therefore, God can give land to whomever he chooses. And the Abrahamic covenant makes it crystal clear that God gave the land we call Israel to Abraham. This is spelled out in the Abrahamic Covenant. I want to read a few of those passages. First of all, Genesis chapter 12, 1-3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And then in Genesis 13, verses 14 to 17. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and width, for I give it to you. And then chapter 15 tells about the actual covenant as uh, Abraham is told to divide some animals so that uh, they can walk through it. It's a blood covenant. And after the animals are all laid out, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abram. And then while he slept... Uh, there was a, a, a smoking oven and burning torch that passed between those pieces. And so really it was just God that passed through them, not God and Abraham. So it was a unilateral covenant. It wasn't up to Abraham to make it happen. It was up to God to make it happen. And God had said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. They will be afflicted there 400 years. This is talking about the time when they would be in bondage in Egypt. He says, but in the fourth generation, they shall go from here and it shall come to pass. It came to pass that while it was dark, behold, there was a smoking oven, a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. 
And then he talks about some of the people who live in that land at this time. And finally, in Genesis 17, 7 and 8, I will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So this land, the land part of this covenant was very specifically the promised land, the holy land, with boundaries extending from the great river Euphrates on the east to the Mediterranean Sea and the river of Egypt on the west. Now, uh, as we're told, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs, and Isaac is the father of the Jews. The Arabs like to point out that Ishmael was Abraham's eldest son and should have first rights to the promised land. But that argument does not hold water because God specifically stated that the promise of the Abrahamic covenant would go through Isaac and through Isaac's descendants. And we see that in Genesis chapter 17, verses 18 to 21, that God was actually making this covenant with Isaac. Uh, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And then, in fact, this Abraham covenant was confirmed by God to Isaac later in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 4. And then later, the Abrahamic covenant was confirmed to Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28, 13 to 14. By the way, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and his 12 sons make up the 12 tribes of Israel. So we have seen here in the book of Genesis that the Abrahamic covenant was literal, eternal, and unconditional. God promised Abraham land, seed, and blessing, and the land promise was further development developed in the land covenant in Deuteronomy 28 to 30. In that covenant, in Deuteronomy 28 to 30, we learn that if the Jews obeyed God, they would remain in the land and be blessed. But if they disobeyed God, they would be removed from the land and cursed. Consequently, ownership of the land for these Jews, these, des- these descendants of uh, Jacob and Isaac, is unconditional. But occupation of the land is conditional. Let me say that again. Ownership of the land is unconditional, but occupation of the land is conditional. I want to illustrate that truth. We gave our son a big wheel. He owned it, but there were rules. He was the rider only on our property and the sidewalk. He was to stay off the street. On one occasion, he went on the street, and his big wheel got put up for a while. He still owned it, but he didn't occupy it. The same is true for the Jews and the promised land. They always fully own it, but they don't always fully occupy it. And just as God declared and prophesied, they had 400 years of captivity in Egypt. And then God gave the Israelites authority to conquer the inhabitants of the east and west sides of the Jordan and to take possession of the promised land. This took place about 
1,450 years before the birth of Christ. Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan to conquer the promised land. God then divided the land of Israel among the 12 tribes of Israel. For the next 350 years, Israel was ruled by the Jewish judges of Israel. Then for the next 120 years, Israel was ruled by the Jewish kings Saul, David, and Solomon in the United Kingdom. Then other Jewish kings ruled in Israel until Assyria dispersed them in 722, and Jewish kings ruled in Judah until Babylon conquered them in 606. A small remnant of Jews was left in the land, but the majority of the Jews were scattered or deported into captivity in Babylon. Seventy years later, just as God promised, following a time of repentance, the Jews were led back to their promised land, and they lived in the promised land until the time of Jesus, and until Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus Vespasian and the Roman legions on the 9th of Av in A.D. 70. Now, the common misunderstanding is that every Jew was removed from the Holy Land, and that every, everything Jewish in the Holy Land was wiped out when the Romans conquered Judea and Samaria in A.D. 70. That is not true. That is a myth. It's a misunderstanding. Some who have this misunderstanding refer to this time following A.D. 70 as 2,000 years of exile. But in reality, there was no 2,000 years of exile. In reality, there were always pockets of Jews in the cities of the Holy Land. In fact, history shows that the Jewish people have had a continuing presence in the Holy Land ever since the days of Joshua. There are many stories about the Jews in Israel in the first century. And then in the year 212, Roman Emperor Caracalla granted citizenship to subjects of the Roman Empire provided they had a homeland. And Caracalla granted citizenship to the Jewish people since it was understood that they were in a country of their own, the Promised Land. So this Roman Empire emperor was recognizing that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a country of their own, the Promised Land. In the 7th century, more than 20,000 Jewish fighters from the Promised Land participated in the Siege of Tyre. The Jews of Jerusalem also joined forces with the Persians to defeat the Byzantines in hopes of gaining their independence in 614. Between the 7th and 10th centuries, the cities of Tiberias and Jerusalem were centers of Jewish scholarship. It was during this period that the Masoretes fixed the pronunciation and cantillation of the Hebrew Bible by adding vowel points between the Hebrew consonants. In the 11th century, Crusaders killed thousands of Jews in Jerusalem, but when the Muslims under Saladin overthrew the Crusaders, they allowed the Jews to live in Jerusalem. In 1492, when Columbus was preparing to set sail, Spain expelled its entire Jewish community, more than 200,000 Jews, and many of them went to a small city in northern Israel called Safed. By the 16th century, Safed was a thriving epicenter of Jewish life in the Holy Land, with 21 synagogues and 18 Jewish houses of study. In the 18th and 19th century, the land of Israel had a massive influx of Jewish settlers from Russia and Europe. At the end of World War I, the Ottoman Empire was split into two great sections with the northern half, Lebanon and Syria, the French mandate going to France, 
And the southern half, the west bank of the Jordan all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea, the British mandate going to England. The British called their area by the geopolitical term Palestine. Britain's task was to establish a homeland for the Jews. British Foreign Secretary Arthur James Balfour made a momentous declaration known as the Balfour Declaration on November 2, 1917, announcing the British government was prepared to establish a Jewish home on the Jewish people's ancestral land. At that time, there were almost uh, 100,000 Jewish people living in Israel. Between 1882 and 1948, thousands of Jewish immigrants settled in Israeli cities like Rishon, Lezion, Petah, Tikva, and Tel Aviv. Many influential Israel, excuse me, many influential Israelis who were born in the Promised Land before Israel became a state were instrumental in establishing the modern state of Israel. Moshe Dayan, Israel's late defense and foreign minister, was born in a kibbutz near the Sea of Galilee under the rule of the Ottoman Turks in 1915. Ariel Sharon, Israel's 11th prime minister, was born in British Mandate Palestine in a village northwest of Tel Aviv in 1928. What have we learned? Oh, clearly, the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 forced many Jews into exile, but it did not eliminate them from the Promised Land. This historical presence of the Jews in the Promised Land is very important. You know, it uh, it seems to me that often people get so caught up in mental gymnastics and peripheral details that they miss the obvious. It reminds me of the time Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were on a camping trip. In the middle of the night, Holmes woke up and said, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. Watson looked up and said, I see millions of stars. Holmes asked, and what does that tell you? Watson thoughtfully answered, Astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it tells me that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes simply said, Someone stole our tent! What a simple and obvious deduction. We need to get past the emotional arguments and the mental pride and the peripheral details and see the obvious. The Bible tells us that God gave the Holy Land to Israel. And history tells us that the Jews have had a long and unbroken presence in the Promised Land from the days of Joshua until now. Both of these very obvious facts reveal that Israel has the legitimate claim to the Promised Land. The goal of many Arabs is a complete elimination of Israel. They falsely claim that they've been displaced by the Jews. They say the Jews are occupying their land. But history and the Bible reveal the Jews are the ones who truly have a legitimate claim to the promised land. You see, the heart of the Arab-Israeli conflict is not simply the occupation of the land of Israel. It's the very existence of the Jewish people of Israel. The Arabs want the Jewish people eliminated. 
Benjamin Netanyahu was right on target when he said, The truth is that if the Arabs were to put down their arms, there would be no more war. If the Jews were to put down their arms, there would be no more Israel. God has a plan. The Abrahamic covenant of this land to Israel is literal, eternal, and unconditional. God has promised that Israel will never be eliminated or annihilated or destroyed. Israel will always have title to the Holy Land. Jewish ownership of the promised land is unconditional. Jewish possession of the promised land is conditional. And it's clear from history that disobedience caused the Jews full possession of land from time to time, but it never voided their title to the Holy Land. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, this situation can be likened to the doctrine of eternal security. Redemption in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Once received, eternal life cannot be lost. Bad conduct on the part of a believer who possesses eternal life can cut us off from many of God's blessings, but cannot nullify God's promise of eternal life. For a believer in Jesus, heaven is not just some hope-for pie-in-the-sky by-and-by. It's a guaranteed stake on a plate for which we wait. The Abrahamic covenant promises of land, seed, and blessing are a continual reminder of God's unconditional and eternal promise that he will preserve the Jewish people and that the Jewish people will enjoy the promised land of Israel forever. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are guaranteed eternal life. I thank you that Jesus is preparing a place for us, and that he's coming back to get us so that we can spend eternity with him. I also thank you that you have guaranteed Israel a future and a hope. I thank you that Jesus will one day return in power and great glory to set up his kingdom here on earth, where he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and all the promises of the Abrahamic covenant will be fully realized. Amen. Well, my dear podcast friends, this has been Dr. Harlan Betts bringing you wisdom from above. I'm wishing you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you for joining me in this passionate pursuit of wisdom from above.